Hello, my name is Lynn Perrine and I'm a Quality Improvement Facilitator at Telogen, formerly known as IFMC. Telogen is a Quality Improvement Organization for the state of Iowa. In my role there as a QI facilitator, I get the opportunity to work with acute, long-term care, and ambulatory providers in the state on various patient safety projects, which includes assisting them with their quality improvement efforts. Today we'll be discussing how to apply and use continuous quality improvement methods in your fall prevention program. I do need to let you know that I do not have anything to disclose. These are today's objectives. At the end of this session, you should have an understanding of how data contributes to an overall quality improvement plan. You should be able to identify available data sources that you can use. You should be able to describe your process improvement methods and be able to explain the steps in the PDSA model. So why improve? Well, as we all know, falls are a major concern for the elderly. Each year, one in three people over the age of 65 will fall. Falls are the leading cause of both fatal and non-fatal injuries for people that are over the age of 65. They're the most common cause of traumatic brain injuries, which account for almost half of all fatal falls among older adults. The CDC reports that the death rate from falls among older adults has increased by 42% over the last few years. Most fractures among older adults are caused by falls, and fractures are both the most common and the most costly type of non-fatal injuries. The risk of falling and being seriously injured with a fall increases with age. In fact, for people over the age of 85, the rate of fall injuries is almost four times that of people between the ages of 65 and 74. Each year, approximately 18,000 people die as a result of falls. And falls are also very expensive. A recent statistic that I saw showed that $26.3 billion is spent annually on treating older adults for the effects of falls. So obviously, prevention is a much more cost-effective alternative. In Iowa, falls are the leading cause of injurious hospitalizations and emergency visits, and they're also the leading cause of injury deaths for those over the age of 65, and again, the highest rate in those over the age of 84. These are the basic steps in the QI journey. Any quality improvement project should begin with an identified opportunity for improvement and a clear determination or goal for what you want to accomplish. The next step would be to form a team to work on the process. You also want to know where you currently are in terms of measurement, and a good way to determine that is through the use of data tracking. There are various process improvement methods and tools that can assist you in your quality journey that we'll be discussing today. Teams are crucial to the success of a QI project. The QI team should have complementary skills and all team members should be committed to the common goal. Your team should be small. Include three to four members that are related to the topic chosen for improvement. 
Be sure that your team includes direct care staff as well as leadership. You may also want to consider adding a patient advocate or a member of the resident council in the nursing home in order to get a patient or resident's viewpoint for the team. You want to make sure to identify a time and place for regular team meetings, keep your meetings brief, and stay focused on the issue at hand. We would also recommend that you include naysayers on your team. Our typical response with naysayers is not to include them and not to include them in any decision-making process. But if you can get their buy-in up front, it's much easier to get buy-in on any other changes um, from the rest of your staff once you have buy-in from those naysayers. Once your team is formed, they'll work together on the remaining steps of the QI process. So you want to be sure and set a goal. And a goal is just a clear statement of the intended improvement and how it is to be measured. Use your goal statement to stay focused, to establish boundaries for what is and is not included in your team's work, and to define success. Your goal statement should always answer the question, what do you want to accomplish? Your goal must be measurable. For example, let's say that your baseline is 20 falls per month. A realistic goal might be to decrease falls by two for the coming month. That would be measurable because at the end of that month, you would be able to determine exactly how many falls you have in order to determine your rate. Make your goal statement short so that everyone can remember it and post it where it's visible at all team meetings. And remember that a goal statement is simply that, a statement. It does not need to include detail on how you will achieve it. That detail will come during the other process improvement methods that we're going to talk about. How can you plan where you want to go, which is your goal, if you don't know where you currently are? Data can help you monitor your process and quality measure scores. It's important to begin with a baseline, which will serve as a basis for comparison to all subsequently acquired data. This can be expressed as either a rate or a percentage, or it can be a specific number of falls that occurred within a specific time frame, such as per week or per month or per quarter. Data sources would include the minimum data set in the nursing home, or the MDS, chart reviews and audits, incident reports or event forms, nursing home compare, which is the publicly reported quality measure scores that are obtained through the MDS submission, and hospital compare, which again is publicly related quality measure scores. Use the data to improve your process. Don't just focus on the numbers because it's not about moving numbers, it's about improving the quality of care for your patients and residents. By focusing on improving the process, you will in turn improve your data. Data helps us to make a difference. Use your data to monitor your progress towards your goal. Data simply is an indicator of performance at any given point in time. Therefore, when you're using data, you want to make sure that it's timely in order for it to be relevant and to truly have an impact on improving your process of care. There are many data tracking tools that are available to assist you in your quality improvement efforts. And these can range from very simple to very complex tools. The choice of tracking tools that you use is really up to you. 
Some providers have been very successful in using a calendar and simply marking on the days of the calendar when the fall occurred and what time. Other providers have been um, using spreadsheets, and again, those can range from very simple to very complex. One spreadsheet um, that I saw was that was really nice was extremely detailed, but it was pretty easy to use. And that included um, tracking of all kinds of information related to those specific falls that occurred within their facility. It, it included information such as all falls within 30 days of admission or readmission, if there were restraints that were in use or not, or if a restraint was applied after the fall. It also included potential causal factors, the day of the week and the, and the shift or time that the fall occurred on, the location of the fall, so where was the person at when they fell. And then it also included information on injury type and tracking. And the nice thing about that was it was a 30-day monitoring tool, and you can see at a glance how you were doing. Um, and that was just a really nice way of being able to track that data on a, on a tool. So whether you're using a very simple or a very complex tool, as long as you're tracking your data, you're monitoring your performance, and we can manage what we measure. There's many tools that are used in the process improvement. Current process analysis, root cause analysis, and PDSA are simple yet effective process improvement methods. We'll discuss each of those. Everything is a process. So when defining a process, think about your staff roles, the tools or resources that your staff use, and the flow of activities. The ultimate goal of defining a process is to identify problems within that process in order to improve it. Start by having your team identify and define every step in the current process that you've chosen to improve. Make each step of your process very specific. Include all relevant details. One thing that we've done at my company to kind of help cement this idea is we have a little exercise that we do, and it's very simple, but we start by saying, explain to me the steps of making a peanut butter sandwich. And you will get all kinds of variation on that, and some of the most important steps might get left out. And that's basically what we're talking about with a current process analysis. You may find, as you do your process analysis, that you don't have a process for a problem that you're looking into. So in that case, you would want to make sure that you certainly define that. If a process is different for different shifts, make sure that you include each of those details as well. And if you find that there are no problems with your process, that's great. But if you discover a problem in your current process, you'll want to determine the root cause or causes of the problem. So let's talk about that next. Root Cause Analysis, or RCA, is a class of problem-solving methods that's aimed at identifying the root causes or problems of events. The RCA allows you to identify the root of the problem you discover in your process, where and why the problem occurs. You can then make decisions based on data rather than on hunches, and you can look for lasting solutions rather than relying on quick fixes or band-aid approaches. Brainstorming, the five whys, and the cause and effect diagrams are just a few of the many root cause analysis techniques.
Brainstorming is a tool that's used to produce a large number of creative ideas in a relatively short time. It can be done individually or as a group. And what brainstorming does is it helps to create new ideas, to solve problems, to motivate and develop teams. It's not just a random activity. It does need to be structured, and there are some brainstorming rules that you should follow. Effective brainstorming will generate creative, interesting, exciting ideas for ordinary or mundane problems. It's used to problem solve, and it can be used to get to the root of an issue or to create ideas of how to solve an issue. Brainstorming uses a three-step pro three process. The first step would be to collect ideas, no matter how silly or absurd they might seem. The second step would be to group similar ideas and analyze them to make sure that they're plausible or feasible. And then your third step would be any of those remaining ideas from the step two, you would take them and reevaluate them further. Some simple ground rules should also be applied when doing brainstorming. Everyone needs to contribute. You want to gather as many ideas as possible. There should be no criticism. Again, no matter how silly or absurd an idea might be, you just never know. It might spark other ideas that would actually be better. And you're looking for quantity. You want a large amount of ideas. You can do brainstorming in different styles. You can use round robin style where you just go around the table and each person in succession will add an idea. You can use lists. You can use post-its. So everybody's writing on post-its and then you put those together on a common board. Or you could use a whiteboard. There's lots of different ways that you can do brainstorming activities. How do you get people more interested? Try doing some creative activity prior to a brainstorming session to spark people's interest and to get their creative juices flowing. There are lots of activities that you can use to do this. Here's an exercise you can try that will help to challenge those traditional thoughts and encourage creativity in your team prior to a brainstorming session. This activity you would use about 10 to 15 minutes and you would just use a list of common words words such as sun, black, heavy, etc. Just very common words, but then you're going to ask your team to say the first opposite word to those common words that they can think of. Once everyone has listed out the first opposite word that they can think of, then ask them to contribute two to three additional words that they didn't think of the first time. This activity will help to lighten the mood and it can be humorous while challenging outside of the box thinking. Once the allotted time for this pre-brainstorming activity is over, then you would want to introduce your real brainstorming topic. Now that the creative juices have started to flow, it'll be easier to think of fresh, non-routine ideas to help problem solve. We'll talk about the five whys next. The five whys is a problem-solving tool that you can use. Have you ever noticed that young children ask why over and over? It's because they want to know the reason for things. The five whys technique is a problem-solving tool that will help you with root cause analysis. 
It gets you to the heart of the problem. When you identify an issue or an abnormal condition, ask why it occurred. But dig down a little bit deeper. Don't just accept the surface answer. When you continue to ask why until you can no longer come up with additional causes, that's the core of the problem or the original reason why it happened. So what happens if you don't dig deep enough into an issue? You can end up wasting a lot of time and energy just because you end up addressing a symptom rather than the root problem. If you don't eliminate the root cause of a problem, chances are those symptoms will crop up again. The real key to using the five whys is to avoid assumptions and logic traps and instead to trace the chain of causality from the effect to the root cause of the problem. So let's walk through an example of the five whys. For this example, we're going to say that our problem is that the patient fell on the floor. So our first why would be to ask, why did the patient fall on the floor? An answer might be because their feet slipped out from under them. So our second question then becomes, why did their feet slip out from under them? And that might possibly be because they weren't wearing gripper socks. Our third why is why weren't they wearing gripper socks? And the answer to that, because the supply bin with gripper socks was empty. So our fourth question would be, why was the supply bin empty? And the answer would be because the gripper socks had not been ordered in a timely manner. Our fifth question then is why hadn't they been ordered in a timely manner? And our answer to that is because the person in charge of supply orders was on vacation and they had not designated anyone in their absence to complete the supply order. That becomes our root cause. Five cycles of asking why is typically sufficient to get to a root cause, but you may need to ask more questions than five, or you may need to ask less. Five is just an arbitrary number to remind you to dig deeper into the issue to get past the surface explanation. We'll talk about cause and effect diagrams now. A cause and effect diagram is also known as a fishbone or Ishikawa diagram. It's a common tool used for cause and effect analysis, and you try to identify possible causes for a certain problem or event. The fishbone diagram is simply a tool to be used along with brainstorming in the five whys. In a fishbone diagram, the various causes are grouped into categories, and the arrows indicate how the causes cascade or flow toward the end effect. It's a very simple tool to use, and you can use it in any different ways. You can use it on a whiteboard during team meetings. You can draw it out on paper. I've seen it done on Excel spreadsheets. You can do it in Word. And there are also a lot of software programs that you can purchase to do a fishbone diagram for you. So this is what a fishbone diagram would look like. And remember that we said the various causes are grouped into categories. And the arrows indicate how the causes cascade or flow toward the end effect, which is actually the problem in our process. You want to start with the problem as your head of the fish. Be specific when defining your pro problem. And then use your different categories 
to group your causes. Ask why for each of these different category causes. Environment, equipment, people, methods and processes, and materials are the most common categories used in healthcare fishbone diagrams, but you can modify those, you can change them or add or delete different causes depending on what is applicable to your situation. So brainstorm possible causes using the fishbone diagram and it'll help you to focus your thinking as you consider the various categories. Once your fishbone diagram is complete, the various causes are discussed to determine the root of the problem or the real reasons why your problem exists. It's from the result of this discussion that the focus for the improvement plan begins. In a process improvement plan, you want to identify a manageable change based on the outcome of the root cause analysis. A planned approach to improving things will give you a better chance of being successful. The model for improvement provides a framework for developing, testing, and, and implementing changes to the way things are done. This will lead to improvements. It consists of two parts. They're both equally important. The first part is the thinking part, and the second part is the doing part. This is the thinking part of the model for improvement. There are three fundamental questions that you want to ask. You can ask them in any order. The first thing we want to know is what are we trying to accomplish? We need to be clear about the improvements you want to make, the results that you want to have, and how you would like things to be different. Having a clear vision of your goal is important. You also want to know how will you know that a change is an improvement. Without measurement, it's impossible to know whether or not you've improved. Think about how you want things to be different when you have implemented your change and agree on what data you need to collect in order to measure that. And the third thing we want to know is what changes can we make that can lead to an improvement? Decide what changes you'll try in order to achieve the results that you want. Look into all available resources. Those can be evidence-based guidelines, ideas from your team brainstorming sessions, input from peers, lessons learned from others, and sharing of best practices to name a few. You can use already tried methods or you can be completely creative and come up with new methods. Gather as many ideas as you can. These will form the basis for the next step in the process, which is the PDSA cycle. The PDSA cycle is the doing part of the model for improvement. PDSA stands for Plan, Do, Study, Act. You may also have heard this referred to as Plan, Do, Check, Act. It's also known as the Schuert cycle, the Deming cycle, and the learning and improvement cycle. Once you've decided exactly what you want to achieve, you can use PDSA cycles to test out your ideas developed from the third question that we asked, which is what changes can we make that will lead to an improvement. The key to the PDSA cycles is to try out changes on a small scale to begin with before you make widespread changes. Work out the kinks. Use consecutive cycles to build up information about how effective your change is. This makes it easier to get started, it gives you rapid results, 
and it reduces the risk of something going wrong and having a major impact. If what you try doesn't work, you can always go back to the way you did things before. But when you feel confident about your change, you can spread it out to the rest of the system. The first step in the cycle is the plan. You want to plan the test or observation, including a plan for collecting data. State the objective of the test. Make predictions about what will happen and why. And develop a plan to test the change. Who will do it? What will be done? When will it be done? Where will it be done? And what data will need to be collected? The second step in the cycle is the do step. You're going to try out the test on a small scale. You'll document any, any problems or unexpected observa observations that you ran into, and you're going to begin analysis of the data. The third step in the cycle is the study step. You're going to review the test that you just completed. You're going to analyze the results, identify what you've learned, and summarize that. This builds knowledge for further improvement. The fourth step in the cycle is the ACT cycle. Take action based on what you learned in the study step. If the change didn't work, go through the cycle again with a different plan. If it was successful, incorporate what you learned from the test into wider changes. And use what was learned to plan other improvements and begin the cycle again. Just as a circle has no end, the PDSA cycle should be repeated again and again for continuous improvement. Use the PDSA cycles for ongoing monitoring of your implemented change. Decide when this will be completed. Are you going to do ongoing monitoring on a monthly basis, a weekly basis, a quarterly basis, etc.? Decide who will collect the ongoing data and how it will be collected. Use this information to determine success of your implemented changes. Is it more successful at some times than at others? Is there additional staff education that's needed? Do we need additional resources? Ask those kinds of questions in your ongoing monitoring. One thing that we would recommend is that you share your results and data with all of your staff. Don't keep it simply to your team or your leadership. Let the staff know how they're doing. Post data in ways that they will understand. A 10% reduction in a fall rate is not as meaningful as we had two less falls this past week. Celebrating success is important, but it's often overlooked. Build in small successes of your change early on. By recognizing accomplishments, a message is sent that quality improvement is important and achievable. Success and recognition of success not only provide positive feedback to the team and its members, but it also provides that positive feedback to the entire organization. Future improvement efforts will be strengthened by the positive influence of a successful quality improvement initiative. So let's review. 
The first thing that you want to do once you've identified a problem is to form a team to work on it. Then you're going to gather information, review the data, and set the goal or goals that you want to achieve. Then comes process improvement. You need to analyze your current process, perform a root cause analysis to assist in the problem solving process. There are different types of RCAs that we discussed today. Those are brainstorming, the five whys, and the cause and effect diagrams. You want to form a process improvement plan. Use the PDSA cycle to carry out small tests of change in rapid cycles and celebrate successes along the way. Continue to monitor and make adjustments in your process or processes as needed. A quick Google search of the internet will produce literally millions of hits. <clears throat> These are some, some good web resources that I found that I think are particularly helpful for information on fall safety and prevention related to what's going on here in our state. The Iowa Departments of Public Health and Department of Aging collaborated in, de in developing a fall prevention website. The site has information for professionals and the public and contains a wealth of resources. And I've included that website address here for you. The CDC also has publications and resources, including podcasts, posters, educational materials, and other resources related to fall safety and prevention. The Iowa Person-Directed Care Coalition has a section devoted to falls under the Tools and Resources tab. Intelligen, formerly known as IFMC, has worksheets for some of the quality improvement tools and methods that were mentioned today. These are available as free downloads by going to www.internetifmc.com, then scroll down to the quality improvement section. I hope this has been informative and helpful and that you've identified at least one thing that you can take with you to put into practice. Thank you.